Thank you for staying tuned to Milledgeville Matters on WRGC 88.3 FM. In this segment of our program today, now we'll be talking with Republican nominee Rick Williams. Rick Williams is a middle Georgia native who grew up in Gordon and graduated from Baldwin High School. He is the co-owner, funeral director, and certified crematory operator at Williams Funeral Home. Williams served as Baldwin County's chief registrar for 18 years and served as a Baldwin County commissioner from 1988 to 1992. He is active in the Academy of Graduate Embalmers of Georgia, the National Funeral Directors Association, Kiwanis, Gideons, the Masons, and Shrine. Mr. Rook Williams, welcome to Milledgeville Matters. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure. And just again, thank you for making time to talk to our radio audience today. So we're going to get right into the questions and I just thought I'd start off with asking you, can you describe the work ethic necessary to be successful for your district under the Gold Dome? The work ethic is going to take a 100% commitment. And this, I have made that commitment to step away from our family business. My son, Cameron, will step into those shoes and carry out the business. And I have already made contacts and through the effectiveness that I can bring to this district. I have met with the governor, lieutenant governor, secretary of state, speaker of the house, the Republican caucus chairman, the Senate floor leader, the Senate majority leader, the Republican majority leader. I have uh, made those contacts, and this is something that I can bring to the table. I can represent this community, Baldwin and Putnam County, in an effective manner. State Representative Kidd has served this area very well. He and his family have done so much for Middle Georgia. For 70 years, there has been a kid in the Capitol. And Mr. Kidd has, of course, withdrawn, and he has endorsed me. And he feels that I am the person for the job, and I concur with him. I have the time, the dedication, and I have the skills. Through my profession, I have learned the skills of getting along with people, mediating, and con- going through a process of listening and working to find solutions to problems in middle Georgia. Right now, uh, we have many different areas that... Uh, need addressing, and I'm ready to go to work. All right. Well, that gives us a good um, transition into our next question. That is, what is your first priority upon election, and what is your plan to address it? One of the main priorities is college education, higher education for our young people in this state. I certainly wish to introduce legislation that is going to make Every dollar spent on higher education, a tax deduction, whether it be for a university, a college, or a technical school. Whatever higher education expense, then that would be a tax deduction. The other things is working to revise the bill to help stabilize our hospital. We have to have a hospital in our community. We have a very good hospital. It needs help. It, it, as many other small community hospitals, have fallen on hard times, and we've got to step up to the plate and be
be able to help them overcome the issues that face them. I believe all of us need and deserve good health care, and we've got to have that in our community to be able to draw uh, industry. I know it is a concern as a parent myself and as a grandparent. If my children were going to school into a town that I didn't know, one of the things I'm going to check out is the hospital, medical facilities, what is available, and in case of an accident or illness or injury, how do we get them help, and how good is that hospital? So that's something that's very important to us also. I want to ask you a follow-up question on the plan about creating a tax deduction for all of the dollars spent towards higher education. And it's just my concern, as we spoke about in the interviews we did before the primary, that there has been a large walk away, not only in the state of Georgia, but in many states from state funding of higher education, in which the state of Georgia, as well as others, has reduced its support of the education institutions throughout. And that has created an upward pressure on not only uh, tuition, uh, although not this year, but also other ways of getting that funding, usually through student fees. Do you worry at all that creating a state tax deduction for higher education will be pulling more money out of that pot for higher education, thus reducing that share of the funding formula? I understand. I understand your concern. How are we going to pay for that? If you look back, not only at that issue, but if you look at the finances of the state of Georgia, for the third year in a row, Georgia has been the number one state to do business with. Six years ago when Governor Deal went into office, there was a $1.5 million reserve. That was enough to run the state for two days. Governor Deal has worked with the House of Representatives who the House main issue and main goal is to work on the budget, whether it be education or those other type issues. And that's where the money is actually allocated through the House of Representatives. Through tight fiduciary budgeting, there's over $2 billion in reserves now. That has grown. And that was what uh, Governor Deal planned to do before he left office, was have at least $2 billion in reserves. And actually, it's about $2.2 billion now in reserves. So we've got the budgeting. We've got the reserves. As Georgia has grown, and Georgia is one of the states, the only, it's the second state out of six that has a AAA bond rating. The only other state ahead of us is Texas, and they have the oil and gas reserves. So you look at the industry that is coming into Georgia, how our economy is improving through our state representation. This is how this is helping. You look into the, especially right here in middle Georgia, the businesses that have located and with our recreational facilities, they are we're we're capitalizing off of their sales tax. We're capitalizing from those type of sales and the revenue that's generated from that. So I feel very confident this can be. It may have to be a step process that 
for the next couple of years, that is tuition. Then the next couple of years, increase it. So there's, there's different ways to negotiate that. And yes, I understand that I'm not going to be able to go to Atlanta, make everybody stop what they're doing and listen to me, and I get my way on everything. I understand that. It's a game of compromise. And that's what Senator Kidd, Ms. Rusty Kidd's father, taught me back in 1990, that politics is compromise. We're going to be working for things in our area where people are going to be working for other things in their area. So we're going to have to compromise, and this is how we get things accomplished. So I just want to be clear. You're saying that things that may come into play for this plan would be potentially the rainy day reserve, potentially new bond issuance um, to support a plan like that. Of course, like you said, there's no way you're going to get what exactly you want, but these are some of the avenues you would take uh, to try to get the funding to uh, enable something like that. Well, what I'm saying is now that the legislature and the governor has been successful in building up this reserve to $2.2 billion. What I'm saying is that no longer will the legislature have to be as strict in budgeting and putting money back because the goal has been met. So that turns money that they've been saving for this rainy day fund, it turns it back into the general fund. So we will have access to more funds uh, to to make these goals come true. Hmm. Right. Um, now, uh, of course, as you'd mentioned earlier, you've received endorsements from some of the most powerful legislators in uh, Georgia state politics, including, uh, just to name a very brief uh, number of them, uh, Governor Nathan Deal, uh, and the state speaker of the House, David Ralston. And you also have the endorsement of outgoing 145th District uh, Representative Rusty Kidd. Now, despite these endorsements, you will be joining the General Assembly as a freshman representative at most likely having influence in committee assignments, a commiserate with your tenure under the Gold Dome. How do you respond to criticism that your freshman status will inhibit your ability to achieve your legislative agenda? There again, I will be going in to the legislature as part of the majority. The Republicans are in majority. Out of 188 seats in the House, they control 118. It was one independent. I'll be taking that independent seat. So with that majority, there again, they're going to be needing me and wanting me to compromise and help them on projects in their area. And so there, here again, is the mediation and the compromise. And this is where I can be a diplomat for the community. We have a lot of things going positive for Baldwin County and Putnam County. We're in the very heart of the state. 441 widening is starting back. We have the Fall Line Freeway nearing completion. So we're going to be at the crossroads of central Georgia, where it's a beautiful location. We have a slower lifestyle than the bustling Atlanta and um, I think it's going to be an opportunity for growth. We are one of the six mega sites, the Smith-Sibley mega site that we have with direct rail access to Savannah, the revitalization of Central State Hospital properties. These things um, 
they all come into play. There's a lot of things in middle Georgia that we have to offer that the other state, the other areas of the state does not. And we have the plenty of land already stayed on. So I think uh, we'll be able to get some things accomplished. Either way, myself or my opposition, if he goes in, he's going to be a freshman legislator of the minority party. I'm going to be a freshman of the majority party. So there again, it's going to be effectiveness. I already have the endorsement of the governor, as you said, lieutenant governor, secretary of state, speaker of the house, speaker pro tem. Uh, These people are ready. They want to see Georgia grow. They want to see middle Georgia thrive. And this is a united effort. And this is where I can be effective. And this is where people have got to realize that uh, the others have had their chance. What happened? What is to show for it? Whether it be in the city government or the state legislature. Right now is an opportunity for a professional, for someone who can be effective, someone who they can be proud to call their representative. And I will be in touch with the community. We will be holding forums. We're doing a survey in the newspaper. We will do a survey on our website, on our Facebook page. We will be responsive to the citizens of Baldwin and Putnam County. What I want the people to realize is this campaign is not about me. This is about us. This is about us as a community. I'm not going to Atlanta to try to impress anyone or flex power over anyone. I am going as a representative of the people of this community of Baldwin and Putnam County, and I'm proud to serve, and I'll be honored to serve. And I'll make you proud of me. I promise you that. Now, as a legislator, part of your job includes fighting for your constituents' priorities under the Gold Dome, but also communicating the issues in conversations about the issues to the people back at home. I want to ask you for a preview of that aspect of your service. Can you explain the opportunity school zone ballot referendum in your own words uh, to our audience? But then, after you've explained it, uh, could you tell me about your take on this question? Is, are you speaking of Amendment Number 1? Yes, sir. <clears throat> I have heard the governor speak on that and actually heard Senator John Kennedy speak on that just earlier today, talking about the issues and the failing schools. There are 120 failing schools in our state right now. These 120 failing schools have been consistently failing for years, some of them for generations. What you have to realize is some of these schools have been in neighborhoods that the grandparents lived there, the parents lived there. Now the children and the grandchildren are still living in that same community. The counties or some boards of education through no fault of anyone's, have not been able to pick it up and make things better. You know, sometimes you can keep doing the same thing and hope that it will get better, but sometimes it doesn't. So you have to look at a different pair of eyes to get them to look at it. 
And that's what this is designed to do, not to come in and take over a, an entire school community or an entire county. They will only take up to five schools a year. They will not come in and take over if you had of these 120 failing schools. They're not going to come in. The state will not come in and take over all 120 schools. They will take over five a year and work to bring those back to where they need to be, whether it be through administration changes, teacher changes, or whatever needs to happen, or possibly if that school needs to be closed down, if that school cannot be effective, if that school cannot overcome the obstacles that are preventing these children from learning. What you have to understand and realize also is that do you understand, and a lot of us didn't understand, how it's forecast how many prisons is going to be needed in the future. They do that on a third grade reading level. That's how they use statistics and formulas to determine what kind of prison population we're going to be having in the future. 75% of our inmates are high school dropouts. They did not graduate. 75% of those people can't read. They cannot read. They cannot write. By third grade, if something is not done, those children are going to be lost. They're going to drop out. They're going to quit school. They're going to become frustrated. They quit. They go through some other avenue, and those avenues are not good for our community or our states. That's my take on this. I've listened to the governor. I've listened to the legislators speak of this bill. I am against more government regulations in business. Myself, as a small business owner, and we have about uh, 11 or 12 full-time people that work for us, and then we have a number of part-time people that work. So we have been chosen by the government, United States Department of Labor, the Georgia Department of Labor, to fill out forms and send in as to how many people we employ and how we pay them, and they can never understand how our payroll, they call us every month because they can't understand our payroll fluctuating every month. We're, we use a lot of the part-time help. They get paid per job or per service that they work on, so we can't always anticipate that, and they're never the same for every month. But what that has caused is us to have to pay our accountants and our bookkeepers overtime and extra money just to keep up with government forms. And I think that's the main problem, whether you're a learning institution, a private business, or whatever you're doing is government interference and more government regulations. And, and so just that was your take. Will you be in support or um, in opposition to the bill just to, to uh, let people know where you stand on that? <clears throat> I will vote for the bill. Uh, I feel like it's an opportunity. And there again, if the state takes over that failing school and if they are able to turn it around 
and get it back on the right path, they're going to turn it back over to the county. They're not going to keep it. They don't want to keep it. The government, the Atlanta, the governor's intent is not to take over the boards of education. The state has no choice but to send money to the counties through sales tax and other taxes that it collects. The state has had to send money to every 159 counties, but they've had no say-so over how that's done. I myself have seen the indiscrepancies in local counties of where they might see where one school needs more funds than another one. So we've, we've got to do this for the sake of our students. We've, uh, Georgia has been number one in the prison reform and the education reform. No one has ventured or tried to do this in the past, and nothing has changed in all these years. The schools have constantly been failing, and so we've got to try it. Governor Nathan Deal, after the 2016 session of the Georgia General Assembly, vetoed a bill that would have allowed permitted gun owners to carry concealed firearms onto college campuses. Yet some lawmakers, including the bill's sponsor, Rick Jaspers of Jasper, have expressed disappointment in the veto and said it does not mean the end of efforts to allow firearms on campus. What is your stance on the issue, and how would you vote if the legislation were before the State House today? Number one, in order to be able to get a concealed carry permit, you have to be 21. That's going to do away with most of your college students to begin with. Number two, if you wish to be a hunter, a child, a young man, 14, or a young lady, 14 years old, you have to attend a hunter safety course. So what I think that maybe legislation should come about that if you wish to be a handgun owner or registered or concealed carry, that you have to go through some type of certification and training to know how to handle a firearm safely, especially the firearm you'll be carrying. Uh, we hear of accidents of people being accidentally shot. They didn't have a safety on the pistol, or a safety was not enacted. So um, um, my view is that Possibly there may be a compromise on this bill. If you're a student, if you're 21, if you have that card that you have passed certification as a hunter, then sure, you should be able to possibly carry that handgun on campus. In San Bernardino, I'm sure there's many families wish someone had had a firearm in that classroom that day the school shootings that are taking place. I was asked this question just recently, and my comment was that, yes, I'm in favor of it. The only way I wouldn't be in favor of it is, number one, you have more security in these colleges and these classrooms. You have the professors trained, and you have them carrying a, con a concealed weapon. We've got to protect our young people. We've got to protect our community. We have a renewable resource right here in Baldwin County, and it's students that come here. 
we, thank goodness, have had no shootings or the catastrophes to take place. And I never want that to happen. But we've got to be sure that it doesn't happen. We have wonderful police department, sheriff's department, our campus security here does an outstanding job. And we've just got to keep our young people safe. These young students who come to Millersville to college, they're someone's child. They're someone's grandchild. They're someone's brother. They're someone's sister. They are coming here to get an education. I want them to get an education and go back home safely. And I want them to have a great respect for Millersville and Baldwin County, that they were safe here. They knew the professor was armed. They felt safe. They knew the 30-year-old father of three that was sitting in the classroom with them that was working a job and going to college at night. They knew he was a concealed carrier, and they felt safe because he was there to protect them. This is what it's about. And to continue on um, ideas of public safety in the state of Georgia, last month, Governor Nathan Deal proposed a major law enforcement reform package, and that includes roughly $79 million in raises for state law enforcement officers and increased training for both state and local law enforcement officers on the use of force, effective policing, and building positive community relations. Do you think Governor Deal's proposal goes far enough to meet the needs of law enforcement and to begin to address the rift between some agencies in the communities they've sworn to protect? I understand, and I've studied that, and I have uh, a lot of friends who are law enforcement officers. Some of my best friends are law enforcement officers that I've grown up with, went to high school with, and we've been friends for almost 50 years. What I anticipate now happening is much like Florida did for law enforcement. Whether you're city, municipal, county, or state, if you attain a level of certification or training, your pay scale will be a certain level. Pretty much like Georgia did for teachers several years ago. Back many years ago, if you were a teacher, Different counties were stealing the better teachers by larger county supplement. So teachers were being uh, shopped, and they were leaving a school that really needed them to go to a more affluent neighborhood or a more affluent school or county that could pay them a higher salary. So what it, what that's probably is what's going to need to be addressed in the upcoming legislature is how to get all of the law enforcement officers on equal footing. I know that the pay raise put the state law enforcement officers above the municipal officers and the county officers. So there's no way that those agencies can compete with the state agency now. So uh, we've got to do something to level the playing field to keep quality people, to keep good, qualified people as our law enforcement officers. Can you describe your position on the expansion of access to medical marijuana in Georgia? I have given that a lot of thought. Um, I certainly would not be 
in favor of matter of marijuana for recreational use. Matter of fact, my father was killed in an automobile accident 10 years ago this year by a young lady who was about 16 years old that was found to be under the influence of marijuana. And so that's something near and dear to me. Uh, I have talked to Representative Alan Peake from Bibb County. He has introduced legislation and has some legislation laws already into effect and I have seen the effects of medical marijuana on children and the oils that is used to stop seizures, to have a better quality of life, and those medicinal uses certainly I would be in favor of. Five rural Georgia hospitals have closed since 2012. In Baldwin County, Oconee Regional Medical Center remains in a very public period of uncertainty about its future. In this environment, there are some bipartisan conversations about expanding Medicaid in Georgia under the Affordable Care Act. As a state representative, would you support the expansion of Medicaid, and why or why not? Medicaid is going to have to be looked at. Medicare, Medicaid, and there is a difference. The Medicare a lot of people will qualify for that after they reach age 65. My mother is now age 87, and she's in the hospital under Medicare and Medicaid. Under Medicaid, in order for Medicaid to step in, the person has to have less assets. So Medicaid is available now uh, to people, at, but it's based on their need and on their assets. I realize that hospitals, through the years, a lot of people don't realize that hospitals had to discount their hospital bill over 35% to collect from Medicaid and Medicare. So what the patient might get uh, $100,000 worth of services, but that had to be discounted off the top uh, 35% before Medicare Medicaid would even step in and pay it. So there again, it's a lot more to that than a lot of us realize at this time. I believe in affordable health care for all of us. We've got to make sure that everyone, regardless of their financial well-being, is receiving proper medical care. This is something as Oconee Regional has faced a lot of problems now, there was a bill introduced and was passed that people could make tax-deductible contributions to hospitals. So people who had uh, n- verifiable assets could make a donation to a hospital, and it was completely tax-deductible. It was based on population. The population changes for Baldwin County. It enables people to do it for Putnam General Hospital in Eatonton, but they cannot at Oconee Regional in Milledgeville because of our population. So we're going to have to work on that population factor and revise that bill and look to an amendment and redraw that bill coming up in the next legislative session so that we can allow people to make these donations to our hospital. So there are a lot of variables. Not only Medicaid affects and Medicare affects our hospital, 
but it's the other insurances. Our, at my small business, to cover a husband and wife that does not cover the children, $1,500 a month. We pay for that employee for him and his spouse to be covered. That is absolutely ridiculous. That's uh, a lot of, you know, when you look at housing, groceries, and other expenses, uh, it's, it's ridiculous. We've got to find ways to help, to supplement, to make sure that adequate medical care is available without it overburdening small businesses because when it overburdens a small business, then the first thing to do and the first thing to have to happen is the business has to lay that employee off because we certainly just cannot afford to pay benefits for that employee again. I've spoken to many people who even work in the hospital. Uh, They work two days a week so that they can get benefits. Otherwise, they would not even be working. They would be a full-time homemaker. But they're able to work two days in the hospital to get employee benefits. And employees of those hospitals do get a discount from what I understand of being an employee of that medical facility. But uh, we've, we've got to do something to step up and make sure that everyone is covered and has availability uh, of adequate medical coverage. In, in your answer, I think you may have answered my next question, but I just want to go back, and I think it breaks down many times on partisan lines, but would you consider Georgia just expanding Medicaid with those Affordable Care Act monies? Well, that's something that to be looked at, and I've heard Governor Deal speak. The bill that he vetoed was not a good bill. It looked good on the surface, but it could not guarantee what was going to be coming three, four years from now. We've got to make sure that what we do and what effect it has on future generations. I learned back in the 80s as a county commissioner when we were acquiring property for the downtown courthouse, if a county government, we bought that property, and if we remove the asbestos out of that building, then we were responsible for it from now on, all in eternity. So that's something that we would not vote on, and I didn't as a county commissioner, because I was not going to obligate the citizens of Baldwin County for eternity over a couple of tractor-trailer loads of asbestos that came out of a building. So we've got to make sure that what we do and what we expand on is going to be good for everyone. Now, the governor has said there is another bill coming up, and he will look at it, and we will study it. And if this is something that is going to be good for everyone and future generations, then by all means, we will go for it. And we're going to make sure there again that no one is withheld medical care. And so just to say, uh, caution, unknown, unknown ahead. That's that's correct. There are so many variables that... uh, you would ask them, much like Nancy Pelosi said when you asked her what was in that bill. She said, read it yourself. And, you know, so there again, we've got to all read that bill and we've got to all understand everything and what the future holds because we cannot and will not do something that is detrimental 
to the citizens of Georgia for generations to come. From what I understand of uh, Governor Dio's position on is that, of course, we can accept those monies now. They dissipate off in the future. And in that future, the citizens of Georgia would be responsible for paying that increase in Medicaid, is what I understand it. Is that, is that your take on it? That was my take on it also, yes. And so I, I do want to see if you have any thoughts on some of the other propositions that have been floated out there to support the hospitals. Of course, in your last response, you mentioned, I believe there is in some counties, a, a means of donating. Individuals or corporations can donate to their hospitals, and that can be a write-off on their taxes. There's been thoughts of expanding that to counties with greater populations or, or some means of expanding that. The chamber has also you know, put out several plans for that. Do you have any opinions on any of these other plans or means of, of trying to assist our hospitals? Certainly. I have one that uh, I share with Representative Kidd. It's legalized gambling in Georgia. They're about to implode the stack at Plant Harley Branch and clear that whole big lakefront lot off. That would be a beautiful location for a casino right here in middle Georgia. Now, I'm not advocating gambling, and I'm not telling people to go gamble. But what I'm saying is I know so many people who go to Cherokee, go to Las Vegas, go to uh, New Orleans, wherever there's casinos. There are people that are going to gamble anyway. Why not let them come to middle Georgia and they can enjoy recreation on the lakes? That um, piece of property that Georgia Power is vacating would be an absolutely ideal location. The money generated from the legalized gambling could go toward medical care, go toward our hospitals to save our hospitals. The other profits could go toward education. And this, again, would be funding the education bill that I was speaking of in the earlier in the program. So there's ways to generate that. I've even had the thought and idea, and you look at Middle Georgia, our Lake Tobasofsky and Macon, I know that's in our other district, but what all we have to offer in Middle Georgia? Why not a, an amusement park in Central Georgia? Now you've got to go way South Georgia, way North Georgia to Six Flags with the combination of recreational facilities. We're halfway there. We have the young people here at college that would love a summer job to work at a, an amusement park, we could have that set up and it could be a mini Six Flags right here in middle Georgia. We have the property, we have the availability, we have the transportation, we have the accessibility. Why not make these dreams happen? And that's part of my plan in going to Atlanta is I'm young enough to dream. I'm young enough and I have children and grandchildren all right here in this community. And my daughter graduated twice from GCNSU with a psychology degree, then went back and got her RN degree here. So I'm, I'm pleased to call Millersville Ball and County my home, and I see so many opportunities for growth. The sky's the limit. I have brought out things and said things that no one else has even mentioned that I've ever even thought of who has run for public office and from this area. And it's the dreams I have, and it's because I listen to other people. 
And I'm not saying that other candidates do not, but I'm telling you as your state representative, I will listen. I will be responsive. When I ran for county commissioner back in 1988, my slogan then was, I'll listen. And that's always been something that I've prided myself on, that I will listen, I will study, and we will work to make things happen. I want people to understand now that uh, voter registration ends on October the 11th, and that's coming up real soon. And then early voting starts October the 17th. In order to vote in Baldwin County, you have to be registered in Baldwin County. As I served as chief registrar for 18 years, I saw students come into the courthouse trying to vote the last day of early voting, and they were registered in Cobb County or Gwinnett County. And we would tell them, I'm sorry, you've got to go to that county to vote. And they would say, give me a provisional ballot. That's not what a provisional ballot is for. You have to vote in the county in which you're registered. And we want to accentuate that, make sure everyone understands that. We'd love to have you register to vote in Baldwin County, and I'd love to have you vote for me, and I hope that you will. I was wondering if you could give our audience a dispatch uh, from the campaign trail. Can you tell me about a conversation you've had with a person that you've met on the campaign trail and how that conversation will impact the work you do in Atlanta? I talk to people, whether they're farmers, uh, pharmacists, nurses. My daughter's a nurse. My two sons are funeral directors and bombers. So, and I talk to the public. My 87-year-old mother, her medical issues, my other siblings, other friends in our church, in our civic clubs, and I hear what people are saying, their needs for more accessibility. There was a worry of a lot of our paramedics that they were going to be put out of a job, and some of them lost their job through the hospital contracting with Grady Hospital, Grady Medical Services out of Atlanta to come render ambulance service to the citizens of Baldwin County where the medical center in Macon had been providing that service for the past five or six years. There again, uh, I listen to people and I listen to their concerns and I listen to their dreams also. I'm not the only one that has the dreams of how we can make middle Georgia prosperous how we can all work together to make things happen. And I want to hear those dreams and talks, and I wish for people to drop me a note, send me an email, call me, uh, let me know what's on their mind, on their hearts, and we can work on those things. Back in the past, we had Animal Rescue Foundation here in Milledgeville, and I know a lot of the college students have worked there uh, helping take care of the animals there at Animal Rescue Foundation. Now, being in the business that I am in, in the funeral business and having a crematory, I had many calls of people wanting me to cremate their pets. And I read the journals and the newspaper articles and see it on TV, how much money people are spending on the care of their pets and even having them cremated or buried or memorialized. There are, they are an actual member of their family. What we did, we had acquired a new crematory, so we donated and had our previously used 
crematory. We had it picked up by a crane. We had it carried downtown. We donated that. Didn't cost them a dime. We even paid the crane fee. We built the building and turned it over to Animal Rescue Foundation to offer public cremations to people of Baldwin, Putnam, and the surrounding counties. What they do with the money that they generate and make from that is take care of the animals that they rescue. They buy food. They pay for vet fees. So we are community and civic-minded. We do these things. We didn't gain anything out of that, but that was something to help the animals and pets who are rescued here in Baldwin County. And so that's just an example of the community-mindedness that my family and I share for Baldwin and Putnam and surrounding counties, that we are working to make things better, and we will work to make things happen. It's not about me. It's about us as a community of surviving, of prospering, and working together to make things happen. This is something I generally do when I'm uh, asking you for a quote for a story or whatnot, Um, but I thought it was apt to put it into uh, this context as well. What did I not ask you about? What would you like to uh, say to uh, the people who may be listening that just didn't come up in the course of these questions? As my life experiences, I was a single parent in 1992 is why I did not run for a second term of office. I had gotten custody of my children. They were 11, 10, and 6. A single male raising two boys and a girl. And so I understand issues that face families, single-parent families. I know what it is to work a lot of hours, long hours, to have to hire babysitters, to help, to work on homework at night, to raise a family. I later married as my children were practically grown and off at college and moved on. And uh, so we're raising and helping our children raise grandchildren now. And it's working together, and it's the pride in the community that I have and the sense of values that I have as far as family and friends. And it's not so much as what this community has done for me. It's more about what I can do for this community. My family and I work, and we are thinking of things we can do, whether it's donating to a church or a charitable organization, and as far as belonging to the Shriners, the Shriners Children's Hospitals, and those type things that we support. And that's what we will continue to do, is to make this state, make this community, make this uh, world and nation a safer place and a better place. And for my last question, it's not really a question, but just to give a final pitch um, to the folks who may be listening in, if they could you know, hear you now and you were to make a, uh, uh, just a final call out to them uh, for your campaign. Thank you. And Daniel, thank you so much. I think uh, the questions you have asked have been great. It's given me an opportunity to communicate with people that I might not actually get an opportunity to meet face-to-face. I encourage all of you to vote. Please vote for me.
on November the 8th. The uh, early voting starts October the 17th and will end on, uh, I think it's the 5th of November. It's uh, the Friday before the Tuesday of Election Day. So uh, we want to encourage people to vote. Make sure all of your family is registered to vote. And uh, absentee ballots, you can call the registrar's office and they will uh, send you an absentee ballot application. Voting is easy. Secretary Kemp has made voting easy. He has made it secure. Uh, and I have all the confidence in the world in the machines and the technology that Georgia is using. So we just want to let people know that, again, we're running for this seat, not for me, but it's for us and it's for a community. And it's to make things work, make things better, and to serve you, the citizens of Baldwin and Putnam counties. Well, Mr. Rick Williams, thank you very much for joining us today on Milledgeville Matters. Thank you. You've been listening to Milledgeville Matters on WRGC 88.3 FM. In this segment of the show, we've been talking with the Republican nominee for the State House District 145 race, and that is Mr. Rick Williams. I want to thank you for taking the time to um, spend a portion of your evening with us here on WRGC 88.3 FM. I've been your host, Daniel McDonald. I just want you to know I look forward to convening with you next time.